Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When did life start getting so complicated? Buying a home? Complicated. Home finances? Certainly not a walk in the park. Raising kids? Yeah, it's a lot. Then there's insurance. What if my policy doesn't cover this? Or what if I make a claim in the middle of the night? Good news. State Farm is there for your what-ifs. So even if life gets tricky, insurance doesn't have to be. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for your quote today. That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Hey, Marcus, have you ever heard the story of Mr. Faded Glory? Say he who rides the pony must someday fall. Familiar words, buddy? Extremely familiar words. Words that I hold dear to my heart. Chloe Dancer, our first real big taste of Love Rock. Love Rock awaits, Marcus. Talking about Mother Love Bone. They're like soup. They're like nothing bad, I can tell you that much. Come bite the apple, Marcus. It's all about Mother Lobe Bone on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. I'm Ray Coob. How you doing, man? I know you are big on Landrew, Andrew Wood, and everything that his universe was about musically. Without a doubt, his music very important to me in my growth and evolution during some of the darkest times. I always know that putting on Mother Love Bone can definitely shine that light you need when you are uh, struggling, no matter what the struggle is, because he had that kind of uh, glow about him, that kind of energy about him. Very different from the rest of the Seattle musicians who are a lot more uh, broody and dark and introspective. A lot of drop D tunings and stuff, yep. yeah. And he liked to play in D. He didn't drop the D, though. And he liked to make you feel good, and he liked to spread the love. If we had a musician on with us right now, they would explain it to us in guitar terms and chord terms. And that's the difference, I think, in a lot of the perspective musically between what he was about, even with Malfunction, and with Mother Love Bone as well. 
You mentioned Shine. It's funny because I remember getting the EP in at Rockers for WMMR back when it first dropped, right? All I knew was that everybody at Mercury and Polygram were very excited about this band, and we already knew about Soundgarden being from Seattle. What I didn't know then, and what we certainly know now, is that Andrew Wood of Mother Love Bone and Chris Cornell of Soundgarden were roommates once, right? Yes, they were. It was Chris, Andrew, and Andrew's girlfriend, Zana Lafuente, and she was working while they were writing songs. It was an interesting time for them. They were struggling to eat. They were struggling as musicians, artists, and as people, yet they found a way to make it work, and some great songs came out of that time. It was the basis of everything that would come for both of them, and she was the mother giver in a lot of ways, providing food and shelter for them at a time when they really needed it. And she plays later in the story as well. As we begin to reference the book, Everybody Loves Our Town, there's a chapter, and this book came out almost 10 years ago, but there's a chapter, chapter 21, which is all about the death and what surrounded it, death of Andrew Wood of Mother Love Bone, which is part of what we're talking about this week on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Mother Love Bone, Love Rock, everything that came with it, the EP shine, man, it really made me realize there was something here. And this is why they were so excited. What we didn't know is what was going on with the love affair with Seattle and Cameron Crowe and the movie Singles and how all that would play into, especially Chloe Dancer's popularity later. But here, at the beginning, they were out there like every other band in Seattle trying to find their way. And after the EP lands and establishes them, they start to work on the full-length album, Apple. There were a few big names in helping put together Apple, including Terry Date, Mark Dearnley, Bruce Calder. And as producers, they really helped Mother Love Bone share the sound that they wanted with the rest of the world and I would bet that was a challenge because you have to be able to see and think and understand Andrew Wood you got to know who you're talking to and working with to be able to make the songs the way they want the songs to be made well you know what what? That is the art of producing, mm -hmm. and that's what was the biggest difference between what Shine showed could happen and what Apple was. Apple was Shined, right? True. There's <laughs> a little play there. But if you think about it, go listen to the Crown of Thorns half of Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns, from the Shine EP, and then listen to Crown of Thorns from the Apple album, and you can feel the difference. It's the way that they made it. It, it sounds, I don't want to say better, it's different. It's shorter on the album and I think brighter, I think is the best way to put it. Almost like they set it free as a song. It's a broken kind of Just can't stand to see you drag him down again. Again. My bed, 
It's also true with Capricorn Sister. It's not really a comparison. The EP version is raw and it rambles on where the Apple version is brighter and tighter. And I think that's what the production team did versus having like one person involved. man they were getting ready to do tours they were talking to people uh, they were hanging out with aerosmith and getting ready to do dates with them all kinds of things was going to happen man they couldn't wait they were on the road and finally somebody was going to get out of seattle right soundgarden was trying to do it and other bands were coming together but they were going to get out of town they were going to take on the world and they started to do it and all i could tell you is heroin terrible terrible no matter what degree people say they can handle it or they think they can they can't and coming up in our story the star dog champion. We lose him, right? Landrew had so many nicknames, or Andrew Wood had so many nicknames. One was Landrew. The beautiful. Because it was great. He was great at on stage being kind of glam or glamorous. But he was the star dog champion. He was Captain High Top, the man of golden words, Marcus Andrew Wood. He was. And a lot of this personality developed in his early years as a child. Being a child in the military, they moved around a lot. His older brothers were born in England. He was born in Mississippi. They ended up settling in the Northwest in Olympia. And sadly, there was a lot of alcohol and uh, violence in his family. And in the Malfunction documentary, his mother spoke about it a little bit. And everybody else was pretty darn unhappy and angry. Andrew was the one who did everything to make everybody happy in the darkness that was uh, at their home. And he carried a lot of weight on his shoulders as a child, but that was what he was born to do. And even Chris Cornell said in the Malfunction documentary, he was born a star. And there's something special about his light. There's no doubt 
about it and it was there as a child and everybody in his family saw it for as dark as it was there. The parents don't play much of a role in his life once he gets away from them. But Zana tells the story about how they were, oh, we should have done more, we should have done this, and she, then they started blaming people after Andrew passed. And she says in the book, basically, all they ever really wanted to know about was the record deal. So I could just get the picture, and it ain't pretty. And he was a beautiful soul coming from this really weird, twisted, dark place. And I mean, physically as well as emotionally, he wasn't a healthy place for a kid who was creative and outgoing to be. But I think that a lot of what the musical and cultural reactions in Seattle that occurred, especially in the 80s and beyond, were in direct proportion to the amount of this kind of like crazy rural life. Look at the way that the Connors from Screaming Trees grew up and how it affected them and so many others. But Andrew, man, he hit her right on the head. He was special. His spirit really inspired people. And him and Chris, they really, when they were all living together, became closer than most people could understand between roommates. Because you think, yeah, roommates get close. But their bond was spiritual, musical, deep. In a scene where everybody's dark and brooding, you'd have this bright, shining light who wanted to be a star completely opposite of everybody else. And people were branding him a sellout, and they were kind of pounding on him pretty good for that. Even though they were proud of what he was doing, there was a little bit of jealousy, I think, and there was a little bit of envy because he was doing and saying and acting like they wanted to be without wanting to be that, if that makes sense. I'm going to boil it all down to you two words seattle syndrome that's what it is you're hurting yourself trying to explain all you can't because the seattle syndrome as we previously discussed was all based on petty thinly veiled nonsense and they all hated each other and rivaled each other and you know take shots at each other verbally and otherwise and you know all kinds of internal criticism kind of like the i can call my brother anything but if you call him something i'm going to knock your lights out kind of a thing yep and and all i could tell you is it was all misguided and it's in this story too it's in that scene in the hospital mark nobody knew that andrew was part of a wave of strong heroin that hit seattle that weekend certainly not the people from the other bands who were like giving people a hard time for being there and that was probably made worse by the fact that there were three or four people in the hospital who all had a heroin overdose and people from different bands were there and apparently according to andy's girlfriend a lot of people who didn't really belong there were there leading to confrontations over all this crap like it was some trendy thing or something but for the conflicts that are shown in the book a lot of it's seattle syndrome inspired hate to say it one of the things that sucks about the descriptive of that hospital madness that mark yarm wrote about in everybody loves our town is that the way everybody was channeling their pain and their fear And there were a lot of people that were using heroin occasionally or even more regularly that were in that room. Yeah. They had some coming to Jesus moments, but I think like in all real life situations, they're pretty short lived in most cases, those awake moments like that. What you've done is set the stage perfectly for the events of March 3rd, 1990. This is what grabbed me in chapter 21 of the book, Everybody Loves Our Town. This is really what happened and what it was all about. And it starts with his brother, Kevin Wood, 
Last time I saw Andy alive, I remember that distinctly because it happened to fall on the third day of the third month, 1990. He set up a deal where he was going to get a solo album, and he invited me to do pre-production rough mixes for it, so he was pulling me back in and rectifying things, because they'd had a fall in After working on pre-production that day, we were heading downtown when we ran into Regan, just by chance. We mentioned that it was a 3-3 day, and that's about it. It wasn't a long meeting, and that was the last time me and Regan and Andy were together. And that made me think, these guys were kids together in rock. Now, Zana's story gets really involved, and it's sad, man. She said they'd gone to see Aerosmith Wednesday night that week, but they didn't go backstage and meet them, even though they were going to go out on tour with them, right? They were with all the other fans out front buying stuff. And then on Friday, all the members of Aerosmith showed up at her store where she worked, except for Steven and Joe. And she said something about, hey, we came to your show. What are you guys still doing here? They spent like three grand in her store. She gave them some mother love bone stuff, including the band's tape. And she said, we're touring with you guys in a few weeks in Europe. And they were like, yeah, really? We're excited. That's the day I came home and found it. That's March 3rd, 1990, bro. Other people, I guess you would say, testify in the book about this. One being David Duet from Cat Butt and the U-Men. He said, I saw Andy that day at the Denny Street house. There was a drug dealer that lived there. I saw him copping. That was really weird. He was one of those people you did not expect. Now, the next thing in the book that is really strange comes from a man who also in this book talks about his own issues with heroin. I'm talking about Mike Starr of Alice in Chains. And he said, that day I walked into Kelly Curtis's basement. He was managing a lot of people. And Andy was there. I said, what's up, Andy? How you doing? He said, I got 40 days clean, man. I was like, what does that mean? Clean off heroin, he says. I was like, what? Back then, everybody knew that people were doing heroin. Then he goes, can you give me a ride home? I give him a ride. We passed his apartment by about three blocks. And he goes, just drop me off right here. I dropped him off. And he went up to this Mexican guy when he got out. Now, the guy he's talking about is the guy that other people said that they had seen who brought this hot heroin into town that had caused the other overdoses. It's hard to talk about this aspect of the story because I've never been a part of heroin culture. I'm so scared of needles. Here's like trying to show you like another scene of that night. Greg Gilmore is talking and he said that he and Jeff went out to dinner with Kelly, Kelly Curtis, about a possible tour manager, and they asked Andy if he was coming, and he kind of, I'm not feeling well kind of a thing. And they didn't think anything of it. Maybe he had a cold, I guess, but it was obviously not. And Zana says that Andrew was supposed to meet that night with the guy that was supposed to be his chaperone on the road, if you follow me, buddy. And he called Kelly and said, I'm sick. And he said, Zana is going to think I did drugs. And Kelly said, did you? And he said, no, he was lying. He was lying to them, and they were finding out you know, what was really going on. Now, you got to understand, this is before cell phones, so a lot of this involves people having to find stuff out. Kelly Curtis said they just had dinner with the guy who was going to be their tour manager, and he went home and there was a note on the door from his wife saying, Andy's in trouble, he's at Harborview, that's the hospital, I guess. That's the way you had to find stuff out if you weren't at home and everybody was running into a hospital or an emergency situation. Mm -hmm. By the time he got there, Kelly said that Andy was in a coma, And this is a part that's really hard to talk about 
Marcus, because it didn't have to happen this way. And Zana, in I guess in a lot of ways, blames herself. She had a meeting at work. The boss was really pissed off, and they were going through all this stuff about people stealing, and they had to go through all this stuff about that. And by the time she got home, she found him face down on the bed, called 911. They did CPR. He died at the scene. They brought him back in the ambulance, and he was on life support. But he was gone. And... The thing that is really hard to read, and I will read it verbatim so you understand the power of the words, that work meeting was about 30 or 40 minutes, and then taking my co-workers home was probably another 30 or 40 minutes. The nurse at the hospital said if I would have been home 10 minutes sooner. That's from Zana in the book Everybody Loves Our Town. That's pretty heavy, Ray. I think uh, you look like you could mm. use a beer after reading those words. Yeah, at least... What do you say we grab a pint from our friends at Crooked Eye? Let's do that and come back and talk about the star dog, Andrew Wood, on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. When you get thirsty, you need a beverage that you can count on, a beverage that will satisfy that thirst. And if you're a beer lover like me, and I know you are too, Marcus, nothing tops the fresh brews. At Crooked Eye Brewery. They make the brews right there. You can actually look in the window of the brew room and see the brew being made. And a lot of other things are happening uh, on weeknights, various things, including Thursday trivia, uh, the Wednesday blues jam. They also have open mic night, the first, third, and fifth Mondays of every month, if you get that first lucky third, fifth five. Monday. I can't do math when I'm a Crooked Eye. Not if I have, like, one <laughs> Crooked IPA. I can tell you that. And open mic Mondays now alternates with Name That Song. Always something fun going on there. We're talking about Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro. And, of course, in Delco at Jamie's House of Music. And in Horsham, too, at Horsham Raceway. Pouring the cure for what ails you in Hapro since 2014. We'll see you at Crooked Eye. Hey, folks, if you haven't checked out Boldfoot Socks yet, go to their website and do it today, boldfoot.com. And if you like what you see and you want to place an order, you can save 15% on us by entering the code HISTORY15 in the discount box. Now, Marcus, you've had some great personal experience wearing your Boldfoot socks. That is correct, Ray. I am an active cyclist. After hearing Josh tell us about his experience running a race in the desert in his bold foot socks. I had to give it a try on the bike, and they held really well. My feet didn't feel funky afterward, and after my spin class, my feet felt great. Not all wet and yucky. Wet and yucky, bad. Feeling <laughs> bold, good. <laughs> Go to boldfoot.com and check out all the styles, and they've got a wide variety of styles, no matter what your mood is about your socks and uh, colors, designs. It all fits into what you want out of a sock that holds up, and they definitely give you that support you need. I know from the times I've worn mine. Make sure you go to boldfoot.com and use the code HISTORY15 to get 15% off of your first order. Look, they're your feet. Be bold. You know, in telling the story in the first half, you have to remember that the backdrop of that is that the album, Apple, has been made and is being prepared for release all around their tour and everything else. And then everything stops. 
The release is delayed, but it does come out. The label was talking about finding a singer to replace Andrew Wood for the band to continue as Mother Love Bone, which I would have to say, from what I've read, the band was pretty disheartened and uh, not into moving in that direction. What happened in the next few days didn't make them feel any better, Marcus. He was hanging on, and at some point the decision is made that Chris Cornell is wrapping up the tour, they're best friends and roommates and all that, and they're going to wait for Chris to get back so a few days go by with andrew on life support and this macabre kind of a ritual around it that's all i'll say i'm looking at this and i'm characterizing it but there's a lot of different people involved and a lot of people in this book will tell you about the whole shooting up scene and the whole heroin culture and all that and i didn't have any interest in it then when i lived on south street in the early 90s and i don't have any interest in it now but we do learn from it it's a cautionary tale because this guy was on his way man he had the full weight of polygram international you know love rock was arriving everything was coming through everything was coming true and then it's gone he's gone and really the guys are left in a tiz at first and left to figure things out I want to continue the story of that night with Bruce Fairweather's account. It happened on a Friday night before cell phones. I was on Orca's Island with some friends of mine and didn't find out what happened until I got back on Sunday. I went to Kelly's and everyone else was there. And I'm saying, what's going to happen to the band? What's going to happen to the band? Andy's going to pull through. Everything's going to be fine. But when I saw him at the hospital the next day, I was like, fuck, who cares about the band? Zana said she knew he was gone. His mom kept saying, when he wakes up, we're going to kick his butt. And she kept telling her, I, I don't think you get it. He's not waking up. The reality really starts to hit people, Marcus. It was many years later when Andrew's parents came to terms with the fact that he was a junkie. I know his father spoke about that at the funeral, but I think it really took them many years to come to terms with the fact that their son had a heroin problem, they ignored it because they were more concerned with the record deal and the fame and all of that, and they too had addiction issues. Falling out of all of this and the sadness and the funerals and the services, there's a funeral service held at the Paramount Theater, and everybody was jokingly saying, Andrew would have loved this because it had his name on the marquee at the Paramount, right? It was like a big deal for people who were from the scene. And there was a private burial, and life moved on. But his friends couldn't. Musically, it starts to come out. It's concept, really. Somewhere, Marcus, in the lyrics of Man on the Golden Words, the first mention of Temple of the Dog is uttered by Lamb. Wanna show you something like a joy inside my heart Seems I've been living in the temple of the dog Where would I live if I were a man of golden words? Or would I live as all? Words in And so they build it. Of course, Chris there helping to figure out who's going to be what. Now, it turns out, and I learned just how true this is, the Temple of the Dog album and project really was important 
almost essential to Mike McCready getting back into playing guitar in a meaningful way. He'd had a bad run and some bad luck with a band gotten depressed, given up the guitar, cut off his hair, went to work in a video store, man. Somebody took him to a Stevie Ray Vaughan concert at the Gorge. And as the rain began to pour down on the crowd at that beautiful outdoor venue, couldn't stand the weather, comes out of the speakers, and Stevie Ray blazes it, inspiring McCready to get off his ass and start playing again, which he begins to do. And getting into the temple of the dog is a key component for him. And think about it, Marcus, for a second. Just out of all this emotional stuff we're talking about, were it not for the need for McCready in Temple of the Dog, one of the greatest guitar players of his generation. You learn shit all the time. I'm learning stuff every time we go digging around. And I did not realize that's where he was in his head right before he came in. And his riffs are central to what Temple of the Dog was all about. And it was obvious that Jeff and Stone really liked the groove of Mike because he moved on with them in Pearl Jam and Eddie and that whole story as well. Let's spend a little more time in the temple first, okay? Yes. I was lucky. I was in the middle of the stuff. I just really started working at Friday Morning Quarterback when Mother Lovebone was getting set up for release and all this happens and then I start hearing about this tribute that they're doing to Andrew Wood and then I hear it. Comes out in April of 91 and you know the people who were really into Mother Lovebone and maybe the Seattle scene overall, maybe they were Chris Cornell fans, they started to flock to it a little bit and over time Hunger Strike really took off. Mm -hmm. and became an AOR staple. But it was the other songs on the album that really got people hooked on it. Say Hello to Heaven as a direct, I mean, how much more direct can you be? And that's straight from the heart of Chris Cornell to Andrew Wood. And then Reach Down Ray, the way Chris sings to Andy, Up in the Skies Above, Flying Free, but still asking Andy to reach down, give us a sign that he's there. Let us know he's watching over us. Powerful, heavy, and beautiful. Oh 
And then, of course, my favorite song on the record after Hunger Strike is Pushing Forward Back. That song rips. The guitar riffs are beautiful. I want to spend all the time we can talking about this period in rock history as it pertains to Jeff and Stone and Mike getting together and finding and meeting Eddie. But he ends up in the mix, too, doing some backup vocals and co-leads and stuff like that. And it introduces his sound to the world. I love pushing forward back. And that, to me, is part of that Pearl Jam sound. And I also, by the way, when I was listening this week to all of Mother Love Bone stuff, found that juicy fat center that Jeff and Stone have been responsible for as being important in my whole life and their part pushing forward back on the temple of the dog is one of those things that made me go oh and then i found out pearl jam was coming out i found out more about ed and how it was Mm -hmm. all coming together wow what a crazy time and so many people felt this pain call me a dog call me a star dog you know songs like wooden jesus strong stuff it didn't click in right away and I remember getting a phone call from my buddy JB and A&M saying, I'm thinking about like a full-blown AOR thing. What do you think on the hunger strike? And I went, do it, pull the trigger. And that's when it took off. And I was always happy to see that happen. And Andrew to get that kind of love. And for me, I guess you'd say the payoff was I was at one of those conventions and it was a one-time thing until they did that tour a few years ago. And I got to see them do most of the album, like about four or five, six songs. It was just great to see them perform together. That show at the Tower Theater was magnificent. The sadness of losing Andrew and Mother Lovebone kind of starts to turn around once you realize that his friends are showing love, and then there's going to be this new band that we've heard about. And we have to do an episode all about Pearl Jam. Essential. As we uh, continue to uh, move forward here, you know, Marcus, one of those things that'll make you smile you're not feeling so good about this whole story we're kind of telling about Andrew Wood. Andy was a wonderful person. People who knew him loved him. Even people who didn't think he was really that great as a rock star. You know, they just love the guy. And I think a lot of that energy worked its way into the Seattle scene moving forward. I look at a lot of what Cornell's solo material is like. It's the D major, not the drop D, right? It's that brightness. And I think that when you hear a song comes from that musical culture that has a brightness to it, you definitely feel it. The influence of Captain Hightop. Without a doubt, he was the light that shined so bright in a dark scene. He was that glowing ball of energy that may have been the hope for everybody. And that may have been why his death was so hard, because everybody was maybe even resting their hope on Andrew Wood, Landry the Love God. Everything takes a different path if a different person's involved. That's just life and chemistry on our weird little planet, right? But a lot of people make a lot of music inspired by what was happening in the beginning, there are all those crazy bands that we've talked about, you know, over the years about the Seattle scene. But when you look at when Mother Love Bone came out of Malfunction and Soundgarden broke out onto the scene, it started something. And it continues today. Bands are still making records. There's still artists like Aaron Jones who are from Seattle, young guy who was barely a little baby when all this was going on. And now he's, you know, a full-grown man making records and not in the grunge tradition. He's making it in his tradition. And that's what it's really all about, continuing to make music and making Seattle part of 
what makes music that makes the world go round, buddy. Hey, Ray, I got an idea, and it's pretty impromptu, but we've done some impromptu stuff before, so... (laughs) Usually we get in trouble when we do, but go ahead, what do we got? This isn't the other work. This is the podcast. (laughs) I have an impromptu five favorites, Mother Love Bone tunes, or Mother Love Bone malfunction (sighs) songs. Oh... Well, you're going to open it up there. I don't have any malfunctions, but uh, um, why don't you, since it's going to be a shotgun five favorites, why don't you start, and then I'll follow in with my five. All right, let me give you my five. Number five, the man of golden words. He was indeed. want to show you something like a joy inside my heart. Seems I've been living in the temple of the dark. Four, Heart Shine. I just love the beauty of this song. And it really exemplifies his love rock sound and his love rock vibe. Dancer, Crown of Thorns, a beautiful and just moving power ballad. Shangri-La at number two, because that song really makes you move. Ding, 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 yep. ding, 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 ding. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> and number one, Stardog Champion, just still one of my all-time favorite songs to this day.
And Ray, what about you and your impromptu five favorite mother love tunes? I got this one tunes. over here, I got this over there, and I got this over here. And this, oh, yeah, what about the stars? Uh, you mean I don't have another five minutes to work this out? Sure. I'm going to go. I'm going to go then. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. <laughs> okay. My number five is Capricorn's sister. And partially because of the way that they crafted it between John and Apple. It's my favorite nickname, maybe, of all time in rock and roll history. Number four, it's Captain High Top, ladies and gentlemen. My number three, and I changed it at the last second, is Star Dog Champion. And the reason I double dinged you is because my number two matches your number two. This is Shangri La. My number one song, Marcus, because I can't get it out of my head even when it's not playing on my uh, computer or my phone in the last few days. Holy Rolla, Mother Love Bone, my number one. Holy Roller was one of the ones that I considered in my top five, as well as Mind Shaker Meltdown. I love that groove, too. A lot of good grooves. And one time, we should probably talk about Malfunction as part of that early scene in Seattle with the U-Man. It's where Melvin's came from and Green River. We didn't really talk about. We didn't really haven't talked about the early days of Soundgarden or their career, so we got to get to that. And maybe some Skinyard. We can make an, an episode about all these bands because mm-hmm. they're, they're bands that people want to know more about. I think that's a great idea, Ray, and there's so much for us to learn about, and there's so much for us to talk about, so I think we need to do it. 
if you've got a band that you want us to include in that kind of an episode about the Seattle scene, or if you've got a band that you think epitomizes the Seattle syndrome that we talk about sometimes, send it in an email to imbalancehistory at gmail.com. And don't forget, we're on social, so interact anytime, anywhere, any device, except for TikTok. We're not doing TikTok, are we? We are not doing TikTok, no. But you can still find us on Facebook at The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, on Instagram at The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, and on Twitter at Imbalanced Histo. The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll is a production of Dark Doc Media. It's been a rough episode for us, buddy. This is one that's emotional for us, first Mm -hmm. person for both of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll never forget him, man. And I will tell people about him, anyone who's interested, as much as I can, if they don't know about the love guy, Andrew Wood. He was an amazing guy. So, until the next time that we get together and talk about another amazing historical figure in rock and roll, I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus Goldman. Love Rock awaits on the imbalance history of rock and roll. At Progressive, we know there's nothing like the feeling of riding a motorcycle with your crew on the open road. That symphony of engines roaring in perfect harmony. It's a feeling that would be impossible to recreate on the radio. Until now. Hit it, Jerry. Oh, my word. Really, really terrible. Is that a glockenspiel, Jerry? Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Uh, No, Jerry. It's over. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.